Besides, I bumped into Chuck Norris at a Pizza Hut once. I think his powers rubbed off on me. Get out of here. Go on, enjoy your mommy getaway weekend. Oh, this weekend was a bad idea. Remember what happened last time we watched the kids? I'm not a pinata. of this product may alter your perception of reality. <sighs> All right, everything looks the same. This is a joke. Asking the question, how do moms do all of this? How do they handle it all? Well, maybe they have goggles we don't know about. It's as if God gave moms a special way of looking at things, you know? Okay, who taught you servanthood? Who modeled grace? 
Who gave you a taste of what God's love could look like? My mom, Mr. T, and my mom. Anyway, I, I just think God gave moms a special way of looking at things. Hey, honey. Hey, how's it going at home? It's all good. Guess you could say I'm starting to catch a glimpse of what your world looks like. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Mama. Hold on, your daughter wants to say something to you. She says she misses you. And she realizes how important you are in her life. And she knows now you do her the same. And she knows that she can't make it without you. You said I love you. I don't know if you said it. But it's what I want to say. mom goggles that was such a, a fun video and we appreciate all the moms and uh, all the mom figures in our lives and uh, just are so thankful for what god has done and how he uses moms so let's stand together and we are gonna praise the lord from psalm 36 lord your love reaches to the heavens your loyalty to the skies your goodness is as high as the mountains. Your justice is as deep as the great ocean. Lord, you protect both people and animals. God, your love is so precious. You protect people in the shadow of your wings. They eat the rich food in your house, and you let them drink from your river of pleasure. You are the giver of life. Your light lets us enjoy light. So let's sing about how Jesus is our giver of life. Thank you. 
Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you again. Uh, some announcements, some things to go through. First off, uh, of course, happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room. We got some flowers for you, and so what we're going to be doing after the church service is just at the back, we'll have a couple, um, I guess, buckets uh, that will have flowers, and it's just a self-serve deal. So uh, moms, there are flowers available for you after the service on your way out. Uh, Joni is out of the office this week, uh, so if you need anything in the bulletin or something like that, uh, contact me. I'm going to be gone next weekend. I'm at fire school, but Daniel Queering is going to be sharing with us next weekend, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, he has got a crazy busy schedule. He's wrapping up school this week, um, but but he agreed to do this, and so I am thrilled for that. So, uh, yeah, Daniel Queering is, is sharing with us next week. Um, uh, we had a typo in, in the bulletin. Um, uh, it's in this bulletin, maybe a previous one. We had written down baptism and potluck on the 27th on Memorial Day. We're not going to do that, uh, so no potluck on the 27th. But we are doing a memorial service at 2 p.m. at the cemetery. So um, for those who are interested in that, we'll meet at the cemetery and spend a little bit of time remembering those who, who went on before us. The garage sale, the pork loin meal uh, fundraiser is coming up June 16. There's some stuff on the insert. Lots of ways to help out. That is our primary fundraiser for the VBS team that heads out to Utah to help host their their VBS. It is a neat opportunity for us. It's a huge blessing for them. And our desire is that the people who go on that would not have to pay anything out of pocket. And so uh, we really lean in hard on this fundraiser. And so, yeah, we'd love your help, even if it's just to advertise and tell people, hey, come get a sandwich or donate some money and that kind of thing. Or if you even have some goods to donate to the garage sale for that. Church camp weekend uh, is Father's Day, June 17. VBS team is looking for some helpers. Uh, there's information on the bulletin on that. On the bulletin as well, too, we changed up the survey. As many of you know, there was the, the tear-off tab where we had some, some different questions uh, regarding the rebranding process, and we've changed that up. A lot of uh, responses and information has come in, uh, but now we're saying, okay, how do we prioritize this? And so... Uh, you'll see all these kind of different values. The, these are ideas that have come in. And so what we're asking is that on the one page, circle the, f the five that you would consider the most important uh, that be expressed in a brand. And so in, in the opening line of a conversation with someone who, who doesn't know anything about the church, what are some of the most important things that they need to know right away? But then on the back side, we're asking you to circle five things that are not as important. Now, we're not saying these are bad. Because these aren't bad things, right? So it's, it's not, we're not saying they're bad. We're just simply saying, though, that in an opening line of a conversation with someone who doesn't know anything about the church, uh, not as high priority, we would want to explain these in person, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, you can um, either uh, put this in the offering, or there's also a black metal box on the table that we set up, so if you want to think about it. I don't know, like if you get bored while I'm talking uh, or, or something, or you want to take it home this week. Um, anyways, you can, you can drop that in the box after the service. Also, just so you know, um, penciled in, and I do emphasize pencil, we are penciled in to have the first vote around rebranding on June 10. And so that would just be the vote where we decide, hey, should we move forward with this or not? So um, we will just 
pencil that in as well, too. Okay, I think that's about it for, uh, for announcements. Let's have a time of prayer, and then we'll continue on with our offering. Heavenly Father, this Mother's Day, we, we thank you, Lord, for the mothers in our lives. God, so many of us have been blessed, impacted, shaped, molded by mothers, by grandmothers, by mother figures. And God, we are so grateful. God, we are grateful for uh, the unique view, uh, the mom goggles that, that only moms seem to have. And so, Lord, each of us just, we want to extend a prayer of thanks for the mom and mom figures in our lives. And a prayer of intercession. That you would continue to bless them. Watch over them. Flourish them. Keep them safe. God, thank you for all that they gave to us. And may we be faithful in passing that on to others. We love you, Lord. Amen.
Thank you, worship team. Well, this morning we are starting off with two child dedications, which is a wonderful way to, to begin any service. Uh, in a child dedication, two things happen. First, the parents are making a proclamation that they will do everything within their power to raise the child to love Jesus, to follow Jesus. It's a commitment of their own life and a commitment to parent in a certain way. The second thing that happens in the child dedication is that you, the church, join with them for, for the task. You, you commit yourself to support, to pray for, to come alongside them in the parenting task. There are days where they will need encouragement. There are days where they may request counsel or advice. Perhaps they need resources. Uh, perhaps they just, just need a lot of prayer. Uh, parenting can be tough and taxing, and, and many of you know that. And so you're committing to do all that you can to help them in the parenting role for the benefit of the child. Deuteronomy 6, uh, 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 verses 4 to 7, gives God's view on the role of parenting. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on their children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. And then in the New Testament, in Ephesians 6.4, we read, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So God is very clear that he intends Christian parents to raise their children to know Scripture, to love Jesus, uh, that parents are to affirm their children, to not discourage them, and just as much as possible to teach them the heart of God. And so today, you're affirming your commitment to do that. We're going to start with Brett and Laura. We're going to... We're ready? All right, yeah. <laughs> um, they're going to they're gonna come on up. So you guys chose the word Isabel, which is a beautiful name. And Isabel means pledge to God. And it also means joyful and beautiful. And uh, so for you, every time you say Isabel, regardless of tone, uh, you are really, in essence, reminding yourself that this is one pledge to God. Uh, we're told in 1 Samuel 1 that Hannah presented her son Samuel to the Lord. In Luke 2.22, we read that Mary and Joseph brought baby Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem to present him before the Lord. And so in the same way, you today bring Isabel to, uh, pr to present her before the Lord. A verse for you and Isabel, Matthew 19.14. Then children were brought to him that they may lay his hands on them. Speaking of Jesus, the disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them. It is in the heart of God that children be taught that they have access to God. For children to know that God desires close relationship with them and is the desire of Jesus to bless children, that children experience freedom in coming before God. Isabel will enter her life relating to God in the way that you teach her to relate to you. There is grace for our shortcomings, of course, 
but the child-parent relationship is often the foundation for our understanding of the child-God relationship. So, three questions for you guys, and you can just respond with I do, and then a congregation, or a question for the congregation, and then I want to pray for you guys. First off, Brett and Laura, do you recognize Isabel as a gift from the Lord, and that in giving you Isabel, God has given you a rich blessing? Do you commit to provide a loving, supportive, encouraging atmosphere where Isabel will continuously know that she is cherished? Do you commit to pray for Isabel, to seek God's blessing, to engage in spiritual warfare on her behalf? And do you commit to providing an atmosphere of reverence for God, a spirit of dependency on Christ, and to constantly expose Isabel to the word of God? Will you guide her in becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ? Henderson MB Church. Do you commit to supporting this family in this endeavor, to praying for this family when prompted, and to do your part as a community in helping Isabel become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? All right, let me pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of Isabel. God, thank you for this home. Lord, I pray that it is one that always knows peace, that always knows your spirit, that always knows provision, abundance. I pray that it is a home that always knows love and grace and forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that Isabel would grow up to be a strong woman who loves you, who serves you, and who spends her life rejoicing. We love you, Lord. Amen. Jared and Sarah. So you guys chose the name James, which that was your father's name, correct? And that's also your middle name, correct? Nicholas is your, okay, all righty. So the name has just good, deep history and significance and meaning. And James is, uh, there were two apostles that, na- that are named James. I mean, it even tracks back uh, into the Old Testament. Uh, the, the heritage of it is in Jacob. And so it's just a good, rich name. You guys have chosen Proverbs 22, 6 for James. Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. I love this verse. This is a good verse. This is a powerful verse, and I think a very true verse. And while the recipient is the child, actually it lays a lot of the responsibility at the feet of the parents. Because what this verse tells us in many ways is that what you model becomes the life that that James lives. And and again, grace for our deficiencies, but by and large, what he sees you do becomes a framework for how he lives. So what you do, he will do. What you don't do, he won't do. What you value, he will value. No pressure. (laughs) The other thing that I, I would add that I believe is that what you say to him becomes the voice in his head. So when you tell him he is brave, he grows up believing he is brave. If you tell him he is weak, he grows up believing he is weak. If, he, if you tell him he is strong, then that inner voice inside tells him that, that he is strong. Start off children in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. It's a wonderful verse. 
three questions for you and then one for the church. Do you recognize James as a gift from the Lord and that in giving you James, God has given you a rich blessing? Do you commit to providing a loving, supportive, encouraging atmosphere where James will continuously know he is cherished? Do you commit to pray for James, to seek God's blessing, to engage in spiritual warfare on his behalf? Do you commit to providing an atmosphere of reverence for God, a spirit of dependency on Christ, and to constantly expose James to the word of God? Will you guide him in becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ? Church, do you commit to supporting this family in this endeavor, to pray for this family when prompted to do your part as a community in helping James become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Amen. I'm going to pray for you guys as well. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of James. God, thank you for this household. Thank you for this family. Lord, we pray for James that he would grow in strength and stature and favor with men and and before the Lord. God, we pray that James would grow up to love you, to honor you, to serve you. Lord, again, we pray that, that this home would always know peace that this home would always know unity, that James would always grow up in environments knowing that he is loved and cherished and that that would lay the foundation for his relationship with you. We love you, Lord. Thanks, you guys. Good stuff. In the early morning hours, kind of the pre-dawn hours of Easter, 1523, a merchant delivered a load of herring, uh, kind of fish, uh, to a local convent. Then, in a very daring, pre-planned event, 12 of the nuns jumped into the fish barrels and were smuggled out of the convent. At that time, that was an event punishable by death. The unlikely hero who orchestrated the rescue was this renegade monk. Uh, uh, A few weeks earlier or a few months earlier, these nuns had read a booklet that this monk had written. Uh, The booklet was entitled On Monastic Views. And in this, this young monk, uh, he attacked really the the Catholic Church's stance on celibacy, uh, preferred singleness, monastic orders. And so these nuns wrote to this, this monk and they explained their situation, asked if he could help them. Because they wanted to escape, they wanted to get married, and they wanted to have children. Later on, in a move that was scandalous beyond scandalous, actually one of these nuns ended up marrying the the monk who who orchestrated this whole event. The monk was Martin Luther, and the nun was Katerina von Bora. Martin Luther was born in 1483 after a powerful encounter with God that somehow involved a lightning strike uh, and almost being killed from a lightning strike. Uh, Luther became a priest and a monk. Uh, This included vows of chastity, poverty, obedience. A few weeks ago, we talked about the difference between sacraments and ordinances and and really asking the question, how does God dispense his grace? And does God dispense his grace kind of here and there through sacraments or is it all at once through the cross, and then so communion and those kinds of things that are more done out of remembrance, obedience. Martin Luther was brilliant. He had a brilliant legal mind. He was also very serious, and so he literally drove himself to the edge trying to obtain enough grace 
so that he, he would have enough righteousness to please God and avoid hell. Endless prayers. Uh, severe fasting that was so severe it, it actually caused intestinal damage and caused significant problems. Sleepless nights, freezing cold, even beating his own body. Until he read the Bible and he saw that righteousness is a gift of God through Jesus Christ. Catherine, or Katerina, was born in 1499 at age 6. Her mother died. She was sent to a Benedictine cloister to be educated. By 16, she was a nun. She learned to read, write, speak Latin, and sing. It's possible she also learned some accounting, some management, and even how to tend to the sick. But then one day she read this booklet that had been written by Martin Luther. And they had their daring escape. Eventually, all the nuns were married to eligible bachelors, except for Catherine. Uh, apparently, none of her suitors quite suited her. And uh, at one point, she even told Luther that if he was unable to find a husband, then she expected him to step up and fulfill the role himself. None too subtle. Two years after their daring escape, 1525, in the backwoods of rural Germany, the ex-monk married the ex-nun. The scandal was epic. Their marriage contradicted centuries of Catholic teaching and really established married clergy as the precedent for the Reformation churches. I, in, in all likelihood, I am able to serve you as a married pastor today in the USMB conference because these two got married. One author wrote, their marriage was a public scandal and arguably the most significant marriage outside the Bible in the history of the world. Because they set in motion a model for Christian faith and maturity through marriage and sex and children rather than through singleness and celibacy. And the stories of their marriage are remarkable. By all accounts, when they first got married, there was very little romance involved. Um, I think Mark Luther's comment was he did it just to spite the devil, which is kind of a lame pickup line. Um, and Luther could be hard to get along with. He was known to be loud, argumentative, judgmental. Uh, for years, he had been a bachelor with a bachelor's diet and a, um, and a really horrible flatulence problem. Um, the Pope himself compared Luther to a wild boar, declared him a heretic, and ordered all of his writings to be burned. So I don't even know how the nuns got the, the, the booklet in the first place. I get that was smuggled in or something. Uh, Luther would have terrible doubt, bouts of severe depression. Um, Catherine would console him, pray for him, read scripture to him, and sometimes employ humor. One day he came home uh, to find Catherine dressed in black funeral attire, and he said, are you going to a funeral? And she said, no, but since you insist on acting as though God is dead, I thought I would join you in the morning. She was also a remarkable businesswoman. As Luther grew in popularity, Catherine turned a former monastery building into basically their equivalent of a hotel dormitory conference center, and people would pay uh, to come and, and have access to Luther. And they, as a couple, they did very well financially. And Catherine managed all of this. And towards the end, uh, they had acquired a large farm, uh, livestock, multiple gardens, fish ponds, fruit orchards, and even a brewery that cranked out 8,800 pints of ale every year. 
their marriage was a scandal. As I said earlier, there was a folklore that said the Antichrist would be born of uh, the union of a monk and a nun. So that didn't help. Uh, Luther's enemies publicly attacked Catherine, hoping to discredit Luther, uh, saying all kinds of really nasty things about her. Uh, Yet in many ways they did ministry together. Another author wrote, As the Reformation movement spread across Europe, the house that, that Catherine ran became its epicenter. After dinner, Luther and Catherine and select guests would discuss theology and politics in Latin, because, I mean, isn't that how you discuss theology, uh, hammering out the intellectual framework for the Reformation. And, by the way, it was also scandalous that she was in on the conversations. Their marriage, uh, like I said, was not really born out of uh, romance, quite the opposite. But you do see this amazing friendship. This remarkable, amazing friendship developed between the two and such a deep level of trust. Luther and Catherine became really close friends. They served each other well. And in one last scandal, when Luther died, he named Catherine his sole inheritor and guardian of their children. People were shocked, and the incredulous judges eventually ruled that illegal, which once again, should just tell you how radical for the time their marriage was and how radical for the time the way they did marriage was. Today is our last sermon in a sermon series called We Believe. We've been going through the Mennonite Brethren Confession of Faith to better understand what what it is that we believe and hold fast to. Today we're covering Articles 11 and 15. 11 is marriage, singleness, and family. And then 15 is stewardship. Let me read to you Article 11, Marriage, Singleness, and Family. And again, there's a lot of stuff in here. We're just going to be able to touch on a few things. We believe that marriage and the family are instituted by God. The church blesses both marriage and singleness and encourages families to grow in love. Marriage is a covenant relationship intended to unite a man and a woman for life. At creation, God designed marriage for companionship, sexual union, and the birth and nurture of children. Sexual intimacy rightfully takes place only within marriage. Marriage is to be characterized by mutual love, faithfulness, and submission. A believer should not marry an unbeliever. The community of faith blesses and nurtures marriage relationships and makes every effort to bring reconciliation to troubled marriages. Human sinfulness, however, may sometimes lead to divorce a violation of God's intention for marriage. With truth and compassion, the family of God offers hope and healing while continually upholding the biblical ideal of marital faithfulness. Singleness is honored equally with marriage and is sometimes even preferred. The church is to bless, respect, and fully include those who are single. Those who remain single may find unique opportunities to advance the kingdom of God. God calls all people, single and married, to live sexually pure lives. God intends family relationships at all stages of life to be characterized by love. Children are a gift from God. Godly parents instruct and nurture their children in the faith. Parents are to discipline their children wisely and lovingly, not provoking them to anger. Children are to honor and obey their parents. The opening line under marriage is so countercultural today. Uh, It is quite amazing. We believe marriage is a covenant relationship intended to unite a man and a woman for life. 
And, 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 and the word I would actually zone in on is simply covenant, simply because our world today is so saturated with the consumeristic mentality and not the covenant mentality. We're consumed with the, with the consumeristic mentality, and it is killing our marriages. We live in a day where the rights of the individual are ultimate. And so what you want is what you must have, and it is your right to have it. That's what our world will tell you. We see that in how businesses interact with customers. We see that in laws being passed by government. Uh, We even see that in how we buy things, how we watch TV. It used to be that, like, if you wanted to watch a show, like, like, you had to wait for it to come on. Like, once a week. And then they'd like take breaks over summer. And then, and then they kind of, they kept interrupting with commercials. Like what kind of Stone Age technology is this? If I want to watch a show, I pull out my phone, I watch the show, and it's commercial free. Buying stuff. It used to be that if you wanted to buy stuff, you had to go to a store. Currently, Amazon is experimenting with drones. Will drop, which will drop off the stuff on my front porch like moments after I punch it into my phone saying I want it. And even though I love this technology and I hope it develops and I look forward to the day of drones dropping things on my doorstep, um, the problem is that we have really taken that same attitude into our marriages and into our relationships. We're not selfish because... Companies like Amazon or Netflix, but rather companies are learning that to survive, that they have to be the best at tapping into that selfish sin nature that really was already there. The idol of self has found very fertile ground in the prosperity of America. Hear that one again. The idol of self has found very fertile ground in the prosperity of America. The consumeristic lens tells us that the individual is supreme. And when two people who see themselves as supreme get married and they try to do life together, then you have two people that that are each operating from this position of you adjust to me, I don't adjust to you. And today with the individual happiness being the ultimate value Marriage has really degraded into simply becoming all about my personal romantic fulfillment. And if you fail me in that service, I will find someone to replace you. I mean, like, I'll weep about it, but ultimately my needs aren't being met, and so you're out. We do need in today's world, to also always include a disclaimer that we do not advocate staying in abusive homes. Abuse can be physical, emotional, mental. It can go both ways. Proverbs actually encourages men, you know, it's better to live on a roof or in a desert than with the nagging wife. So if God's saying it, it must be bad. If you are confused on whether or not you're dealing with abuse or selfishness, then please talk to someone and discern that question in community. But this main idea that we have these selfish tendencies and that it is influencing and killing our marriages. Now, contrast to that, to this idea of covenant, 
relationship. And yes, our, our marriages should involve fun and friendship and happiness and blessing, but the purpose of our marriage is not ourselves, nor our personal gratification. Rather, our marriages refine us in holiness and serve as a public testimony to the world of what the gospel story looks like. That's my favorite definition of marriage so far. Dave Harvey writes, Marriage is embedded in the culture as a gospel testimony that is always making a statement. The only question is whether it's a good statement or bad statement. Husbands, when you love your wives as Christ loved the church, which Ephesians very clearly says is what you're supposed to do, when you lead her well, when you lead your family well, when you seek her benefit above your own, when you romance her, when you pursue her, when you forgive her time and time and time and time again, when you love her unconditionally, when you help her become a better person, when you provide for her needs, when you provide a place, a home for her, when you reward her, when you speak well of her in public, when you pray for her, when you intercede for her, when you teach her, when you help her grow, when you remain faithful, even when she has betrayed you, when you do these things, you are not going above and beyond. You are simply doing what was asked of you. And you are putting on display the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Ladies, when you love your husband, when you respect him, when you submit to his leadership, when you speak well of him in public, when you partner with him, when you have eyes and heart and ears for him only, when you are faithful to him, when you give to others what you have been given, Again, you are not going above and beyond. You are only doing what was asked of you. But again, you are putting on display the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And if we had more time, I would give you a verse for every single one of those. A while back, we talked about uh, scientific studies that have been done showing that regular church attendance correlates with better health and longer life expectancy. True story. You missed out if you weren't here for that one. Fascinating. It should come as no surprise that similar patterns are found between church attendance and marriage. According to the studies, church-going husbands express more positive emotion to their wives, are more attentive to their marriages, serve their wives more, take more time for date nights and time together, and invest more in their wives. Evangelical married men have the lowest rates of reported domestic violence of any major religious or secular group in the U.S., which, like, that'd be everybody. Conservative Protestant married men with children are consistently the most active and expressive fathers and the most emotionally engaged husbands. Couples who regularly attend church together report greater marital happiness, marital support, and romance in their marriages. The wives of godly men report the highest level of marital happiness. 70% of husbands who attend church regularly report that they are very happy as compared to 59% who never attend church. And couples who frequently attend religious services are only about half as likely to separate. Now, a while back, kind of the, the stat that was getting publicized is that divorce rates were same within the church and, without, and outside the church. But what was happening in those studies is that they were simply asking, were you a Christian? And so that lumped together both regular church attenders and then the people who were like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I just never go to church, but I'm a Christian. 
And but what as, as they got more refined in their studies and they started to separate out regular church attender versus non regular church attender. The regular church attenders, their divorce rates were half, at least half of of the rest of the population. And so the studies are showing today that within the church and church being defined as regular church attenders, the divorce rate is notably lower. These stats go on and on and on. So here's the thing. If you want to have a good marriage, the studies are showing what we've suggested all along, that people who are meaningfully engaged in local church have better marriages. But, and now this is kind of my theory or my conjecture on this, the studies really only linked church attendance or church involvement with healthy marriage, but, but I think that the link is not so much to church, but rather to what the church represents. That, that really they're linking it to people who love Jesus, to people who obey Jesus, to people who worship Jesus, people who read and obey scripture, people who are involved in good community, a community that supports and encourages and offers correction, and that, that people who are a part of something bigger than themselves, that that's really the, the connection of what's going on. So we believe in covenant relationships between a man and a woman for life, but to do that well, you're going to need Christian community. Singleness. I love the opening line of the singleness section. Singleness is honored equally with marriage, sometimes even preferred. Uh, single people, high schoolers, middle schoolers. My encouragement to you is to stay single as long as possible. I would offer to you also high schoolers that the four-year college plan is a bit outdated and that you need to be planning on a six to seven-year plan. If you want to be competitive in the marketplace, you should really consider as a master's degree. And also you need to plan on at least one to two years of overseas missions. Now, if you plan ahead, you can clump some of that together. We had Trek participants getting college credit, some colleges, universities. It's a five-year program. You graduate with an undergrad and a grad. Lots of different kind of possibilities out there, that kind of stuff. But when I hear students, particularly high school students, and, and their hope or their dream or their plan is to, is to meet their spouse in high school, like, I get nervous. Because uh, there's, that's a bit short-sighted. As many of you know, uh, Joanne and I were single for a long time. Uh, as a single person, I had a mobility, I had a freedom, I had a schedule that no married person could touch. I mean, if I wanted to, I could literally relocate to the other side of the country in one to two weeks, and that includes like five days of travel time. I did ministry late into the evening because I could, and it was fun. I could travel with abandon. Uh, I had a coworker, bless that man's soul, for a season. They just had a rough patch, and I would hear him get the call around 5, 5.05, why aren't you home yet? I'm like, lady, it's 5. Like, give him two minutes. But they're in a better, they're in a better place now. Joanne and I will both tell you that we did things as single, singles that we could not have done if we were married. Uh, and we very much believe that God wanted us to wait until we were older to get married. I will often joke about our first date going bad. What I rarely tell people is that in college that I did like Joanne, that I really wanted to say something to her. But I had a very, very strong sense from the Lord that I was not supposed to say anything to her. And I had a bad attitude about it. 
but I obeyed. And now I see why that was so important at that time to not bring it up. Because God very much had assignments for us as single people before he did bring us together several years later. Let me also say this as a loving word. Um, if you got married, you will probably have the hardest time understanding, you know, the value of staying single. Um, you're also kindly the, the most prone to say the dumb things. I had one dear lady, God bless her, love Jesus. Um, I'm, you know, single as all get out. And she's like, but just think how much happier you'll be when you're married. I didn't know what if I didn't know I was unhappy. I thought I loved my life. What? It's not like I'm opposed to marriage, like I'm working on it. Cut me some slack here. Singles and marrieds have different joys and different opportunities afforded to them. And when you switch from one camp to the other, those joys and those opportunities also switch. So whatever camp you're in, maximize it while you can because an era is coming where you won't have those joys and where you won't have those opportunities stewardship we're going to cover this one real quick and then we'll we'll wrap up stewardship we believe the universe and everything in it belong to god the creator god has entrusted the care of the earth to all people who are responsible for managing its resources Good stewardship uses the earth's abundance to meet human need, but resists the unjust exploitation of the earth and its people. All God's gifts are to be received with thanksgiving and used responsibly. To confess Jesus as Lord transforms values. Jesus warns that we cannot serve both God and wealth. Preoccupation with money and the possessions, self-indulgent living, and eagerness to accumulate wealth for personal advantage are not in keeping with the teachings of Scripture. The Bible teaches cheerful, sacrificial, and proportional giving through the church in grateful response to God's goodness. Christians do not claim any of their possessions as their own, but manage all their resources, including money, time, abilities, and influence, in generous ways that give glory to God. They do not despise the poor, but practice mutual aid within the church and share what they have with others in need. God's people seek to embrace a lifestyle of simplicity and and contentment. I think the most profound sentence in that, it's kind of buried in the middle towards the end. Christians do not claim any of their possessions as their own, but manage all their resources, including money, time, abilities, influence, in generous ways that give glory to God. And that is a really, really big concept. Some of you tithe. Good job. Old Testament lays out our understanding of tithe, and Jesus, in just in kind of a subtle, peculiar way, affirms the tithe. Some of you are generous. Well done. New Testament puts the emphasis on generous. But some people, and perhaps we have some of these people here, nothing you own belongs to you. Instead, you steward another's resources. Everything you own has been entrusted into your care only for a season. And as such, because you're not actually the owner, you actually don't have final authority on how it's used or utilized. So rather, you listen to the owner on how he wants it handled, on how he wants it distributed. And when you're not sure, you consult other godly people 
when every purchase and every financial decision has become a spiritual decision, then you are understanding and living out what it means that we do not claim any of our possessions of our own and that we manage all of our resources in a way that glorifies God. I actually think everything that we've talked about today can fit under stewardship. It's such a great word. But the idea that God has entrusted to us singleness, that he has entrusted into your care certain joys and opportunities, that for some he has entrusted marriage. He entrusts to you a spouse to love and care for, that he entrusted to us in marriage an opportunity to proclaim the gospel marriage uh, message. In family, he entrusts to us children. In family, he also entrusted to her under our care an opportunity for a legacy beyond our years. You and I are someone else's dead ancestors. I mean, not yet, but we're working that way. What kind of legacy will we leave behind? In money, possessions, land, God has entrusted to us physical resources. In gifts, talents, and abilities, God has entrusted to us a way to contribute to the body of Christ and the mission of Christ. A day is coming when we will all be judged for what we did and how we handled the resources entrusted into our care. And I hope that every single one of us will get to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Let me pray, and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, you have entrusted so much to us Lord, in this room alone, there is so much represented. Whether it be singleness, whether it be marriage, whether it be kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, talents, gifts, abilities, financial resources, relationships, influence. God, so much. So much entrusted into our care. Opportunities to proclaim the gospel message, whether it be verbally or or simply how we do life with our spouse. God, it is our desire to be faithful and to utilize these opportunities. Lord, may we be faithful in coming to you and and asking how you want us to use that which is yours and not ours. Lord, I pray that for every person here, that we live faithful lives faithful with what you entrusted to our care and that for every one of us here we will someday hear well done good and faithful servant we pray all these things in the name of your son jesus christ amen please stand as we sing hymn number 531 it'll be up on your screen too and we'll do verses one three and four
is our prayer for today and our lives. You are dismissed.